From Fresh Air Studios in Plymouth, this is In Conversation With, the podcast from Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. With special guests, Hannah Harris from Plymouth Culture. The more I have seen, and certainly in my previous role, all of the European projects that I ran and I was privileged enough to go and visit, just really does give you that outside look of what you're doing. It helps you appreciate even more what we have as a city. And Sue Packer of CMO Stores. Everybody from a different background brings something different. And what you have to be is just open to listen to what it is that everybody has to offer. Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce, with another episode of our In Conversation With podcast. And I'm really happy today to be joined by Hannah Harris from Plymouth Culture. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And I think I met you on a tour of the box, didn't I? Yes, in our very exciting cultural venue. We were seeing sort of behind the scenes before it opened up. Yeah, one of the great events that the Chamber was able to put on was the sort of behind the scenes tours of the box. And I felt really privileged to see all that. Yeah, it was incredible. And seeing it kind of being built, I think the mammoth was on its side at that point. So we saw it at kind of very early stage, didn't we? Yeah, it was just such a privilege to have such a great thing in our city, I think. And funnily enough, I was talking to David Fitzgerald about this, that Plymouthians are very good at sometimes at putting our city down and saying, it's only Plymouth and nothing like yeah. that. But am I right in thinking that Arts Council England have described the box as the most significant cultural event of the year, if not the decade? Yeah, that's kind of twofold. One, because of what it is and what it's achieved, but also it's done it in this COVID climate. So <laughs> where yeah. a lot of organisations would have given up years ago, you know, this has been a kind of cross-city, cross-party effort. And in typical Plymouth style, they've made the impossible happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, Arts Council and others really see that. Well, what an exciting time for you to be involved in culture in Plymouth. Yeah, quite an absolute privilege to kind of come in, you know, at a point where all of these things are happening in the city and that there's so much energy behind it. And how did you get here? I mean, because now I happen to know that you're not a Janner, are you? You're a Cornish maid. I'm not. I'm Cornish. I'm from the depths of Cornwall, near Land's End, Cape Cornwall, St Just. Yeah. Rugged Cornwall. Yes. Rugged. The yes. rugged part of Cornwall. Well, you don't look very rugged. So tell us how you got here. What's your journey? So I started in sort of sports development within local authority in Cornwall at the time whilst I was studying my business management degree and did a lot of work with young people in deprived neighbourhoods and in funded projects and then moved across into economic development after I qualified with my degree and ran a small business network so not dissimilar to the chamber but very rural West Cornwall small business network associated with the local authority so kind of straddled that private public sector interesting middle ground you have to walk and then applied for a job and was successful at Plymouth College of Art, right. where I was for 11 years, actually. I don't think you ever go into a job thinking you might be there for a kind of 11 years, mm. especially quite early on in my career. But it was just such an incredible organisation to be part of. And I think always changing. You know, Every year it felt different. And so I had the privilege of working in several capacities there and eventually as the director of development, specifically around partnerships and all of our European funding. And then went on maternity leave, had a little baby, and whilst on maternity leave, secured this job. So not planned, not intended, the worst time possible. The baby or the job? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, definitely the job. <laughs> and yeah, and was really, really fortunate enough to be successful. And that's where I am today. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm lucky to have met you a couple of times. And what I found amazing, I take this the right way, but often when you meet people in the sort of world of cultural, the arts, it's a very sort of fluffy, amorphous world where it's not very practical we don't see the let's get it done you know benefits of it and i know because we've talked about this in the past but perhaps you could explain to our listeners why is culture important why is art important and why is it important to business because you know some people say it's just paintings or it's just theater you know why is that important yeah and i think you know all of those things are important within their own right because they give so much to people's lives you know they are the things that enrich people's lives there are families now who wouldn't necessarily consider themselves part of the cultural scene but are desperate to go to the theatre at Christmas because it's a family tradition. And so there are all those sorts of things that are important because they are just important to the fabric of our life. But what you're referring to is there's hard economic benefit to the cultural sector as well. Right. It is what drives our nighttime economy. So when you're going to hear music play or you're seeing sports events you're going to the theatre, there's billions and billions of pounds in that sector. And you've seen it now where, you know, the West End is closed because of COVID and the bottom has fallen out of industry because it supports all those coffee shops, it supports all those taxi drivers, those hotels, those businesses. And I think if anyone were to think of a city that they really, really love, I'm not a betting person, but I would put money on that you don't love it because it's got great roads and great waste disposal. You love it because of the culture. You love it because of the coffee shops, the food, the entertainment, whether that's in buildings or outside of buildings in the streets. It is the cultural identity of those places that people fall in love with, and that drives business. Well, how brilliantly put. So what is it you love about Plymouth? I love the fact that it's very surprising. I think Plymouth, as you've said, sort of does undersell itself, which is a massive problem, but it's also a great privilege to be part of because... Everything we do surprises people and we punch above our weight. And that's so exciting. It's amazing that people come here and that I work with partners who are blown away by what we do because they don't expect it. And it's so nice to be in a city where we can bring surprise every time we enter a partnership. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, and I should say, of course, it's not just Plymouth, it's the region and the county. I mean, we are Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. We happen to be in Plymouth. You are the chief executive of Plymouth Culture, but there's a lot going on across the county and the region. Yeah, and you know, that's where we draw our amazing creatives from. You know, Plymouth has that kind of magnetic appeal that brings people from across the region and it holds a really important, significant kind of role regionally as well. You know, the role that it plays in the Southwest cannot be underplayed really oh yeah i completely agree i absolutely love it if you could change one thing about plymouth what would it be (laughs) just one thing okay (laughs) why have you got a long list (laughs) (laughs) i do think that we undersell ourselves and i think there needs to be two things it's a more coordinated approach to how we pitch ourselves to the rest of the world so I think that collaboration needs to be stronger and also I think we need ourselves and our citizens to have that pride in the city and just to unlock that would be transformational I think. I agree I call it the taxi driver test and that's no Mm. disrespect to taxi drivers but it's about the fact that if you get into a taxi in Sydney or York or a city that seems to have pride 
in itself yeah. and you say to the taxi driver, what should I see? In fact, you don't even need to ask. Before you've asked, they're saying, oh, have you been to so-and-so? Have you gone to this? You've got to check that out. And I would hope that visitors to Plymouth will be told, oh, you've got to go to the box. You've got to see what's happening at Royal William Yard. Oh, have you been to the Theatre Royal? You know, And really sell our city. Yeah. And I think the new National Marine Park actually gives us a sense of civic identity and civic pride, which I hope people will pick up on. Absolutely. And, you know, something like that, it can only happen here kind of mentality. And that's really important. It's very distinctive to Plymouth. You won't get that kind of marine park anywhere else because of our adjacency to the water but also the environment we have the businesses we have the people we have and I think that's very interesting in terms of how we push that out as a collective message then because it says so much about the place of Plymouth that Mm. no one else can claim no and that's really really important as a city and do you think that's your biggest challenge in your job what is your biggest challenge but I mean funding's always a big challenge you know something like arts and culture is often underfunded or there's always a fight for funding and this city has been amazing in continuing to give investment and we want to see that happen as we move forward so I think that's always a challenge but also I guess the other challenge because I'm in the process of developing the culture strategy at the moment is we're spending a long time deciding what the distinctiveness of Plymouth is and like it is Plymouth (laughs) I think sometimes we're trying too hard and dismissing the obvious and the fact that Plymouth is where it is it has the history and heritage that it has and it has the people that it has is distinctive it gives us a gritty kind of urban DIY get on do it and people would be surprised by you kind of mentality we need to just stop looking for something else and embrace that I agree we need to just grab it and run with it yeah so I don't recall Cornwall ever deciding on how it was going to brand itself maybe because I'm not there but Cornwall has a world-renowned brand people you say Cornwall and it conjures up an image in your mind I think people get it they're just proud of it and they get on with it and I think we need to do more of that ourselves you know you don't get somewhere like Nuki saying I know we've got amazing beaches but what else yeah like they just go well that's what we've got (laughs) and we're going to do that and so you know in Plymouth yes we know we're Britain's Ocean City but what else? What must be fine? It's like, just go with that and give it its energy, but make it applicable to all the sectors. And you've got an incredible package of an offer there. I've told this story before, but I was at a dinner party in Winchester with some very, very well-to-do people who are all very lovely and very nice people. But they were having a discussion about what their favourite city in the world was. And, oh, mine's Vienna because of, you know, oh, mine's Barcelona because of the architecture. and, And they said to me, what's yours? And I said, Plymouth. And they laughed. And I said, why are you laughing? And they went, oh, oh, you're serious. And I said, yes, I'm very serious. And they said, why? I said, well, apart from the history and the world-class theatre and the world-class dining and that we're by the sea, oh, and we've got Dartmoor behind us and, you know, this cultural scene and, you know, I can be on the beach in 10 minutes or on the moors. But apart from all that, no, not really, you know. And it's like, oh, you know, and I wish everyone had that pride. Maybe they do. Maybe they're just more modest yeah. than, than what I am. What's the most challenging thing you've done in your life? And it doesn't have to be work. <laughs> we need to know a bit more about Hannah. Oh, a bit more about me. You've got a miracle son, haven't you? Yeah, my little boy Marvin, who's two now that was a very long journey for myself and my husband and you know a lot of personal resilience had to be brought into that knowing yourself knowing what you want and we're really fortunate you know he's a little miracle boy for us Mm. and so yeah I think that personal journey sometimes does dictate how you operate as a professional as well and you know what kind of skills and resilience you bring to your role and something that's definitely needed and yeah that was a real challenge for us yeah we're a sum of what's happened to us and sometimes what you bring into a role you know I would have loved 
15 years ago to be chief executive of the Chamber of Commerce, but I'd never have been ready. Yeah. I wouldn't have had the life experience. I wouldn't have had the resilience. You do need that resilience. You need that life experience. You need things. Still to come, Sue Packer of CMO Stores. COVID taught us all that we could work from home with no problems whatsoever. So I remember very clearly last year, 16th of March, <laughs> we actually vacated the offices and I think we lost maybe a couple of hours of productivity. Follow the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce on Twitter at Chamber underscore Devon and search for us on LinkedIn. Make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe now. I mean, you've actually become a chief executive very young in life. So you've obviously done incredibly well, better than me. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I've been very fortunate to have had those opportunities as well. And I think that is part of it, you know, working at the art college I was surrounded by other fantastic senior leaders who were comfortable giving opportunity to people and valued equally my opinion. So I was fortunate to work in an organisation where I had that growth opportunity. So yeah, I'm young, but you know, I am lucky to have had the route that I've had. I think there's probably a very small amount of luck and a lot of talent and ability. And I've always found you very eloquent. I hate if we're at a meeting, I've sat in various meetings with you and you're asked a question and then they come to me. I think, well, I'm not going <laughs> to put it as eloquently as that. So I'll just let Hannah do the talking. Oh, thanks. You're very kind. <laughs> well, no, it's well deserved. I think you've done a cracking job with Plymouth Culture. And so what's next? I mean, is this your job for life? Not that your boss is listening or anything, <laughs> but you know, is this your job for life or within the job or outside of the job? What's next for you? What's the big challenge? Yeah, I mean, those two things collide, I think. So I am keen to be in Plymouth for as long as Plymouth will have me and for as long as I feel that I have value to give. I do think there's something important about being invested in a place, especially when you're working on a cultural strategy and a cultural development. It takes time. You know, it isn't about shipping in a project and two years later going again. So I'm committed to Plymouth if Plymouth's committed to me. So I'm, you know, happy for that relationship to run its course, however that may be. Personally, I'm very interested when we're allowed to do more travel. One, I want to show my son the world, but two, I think I would be better at my job the more I have seen. And certainly in my previous role, all of the European projects that I ran and I was privileged enough to go and visit, just really does give you that outside look of what you're doing. It helps you appreciate even more what we have as a city, because I think sometimes we do undersell ourselves and we're always looking at the next thing and not really appreciating what we have. So it gives you that value, but also it opens your eyes to so many other models and ways of working and initiatives that we could bring back to the city then. So I'm keen to understand how I stay in the city, but bring lots of other cultural inspiration to it. Yeah, and it's good that you're outward looking like that. I think we can all learn from other examples, other areas, other places. So tell us a bit about your European projects. Where have you been? What have you done? Oh, all sorts of things. So from video mapping and digital work through to kind of enterprise within student settings, textiles projects. So we've been to Ronce and Ghent and other work within Belgium, lots within Calais for the Lace Project and Barcelona for 3D printing. I've been Rotterdam for Project European Work. And so, yeah, I've been fortunate to go to a lot of different places on a whole range of projects and just meet incredible people. And what's on the bucket list? Where do you really want to go? Not necessarily with work. I mean, just where do you want to visit? I did Australia for three weeks a long time ago. And yeah, I really enjoyed the outdoor lifestyle. I really enjoyed the kind of sporting element there. So I would love to revisit and I'd like to do more of Belgium because I was just really fascinated by 
their citizenship and how they model their city and there's a calmness there but they're incredibly efficient as well and it there was just something quite intriguing about that place yeah i've been to ghent uh, i loved it yeah i spent a couple of days in ghent really really enjoyed the place and as you say it's clean and efficient yes. and friendly and it, yeah, it's got a lovely feel it's got an interesting balance to it you know it's got that efficiency and that energy of business but it feels quite welcoming as well yeah it'd be interesting to know what people in ghent would say about plymouth yeah or what people in ghent say about ghent as well because i think you know a lot of what we've described i am sure is not just a plymouth problem no i'm, <laughs> I'm sure. sure it's the same in lots of other places so but understanding that and learning from that i think would be very interesting i spent 17 years in the police service and you will not find a single policeman anywhere in the world who thinks the place they police is a nice place. Well, they have quite an interesting inside view of it, though, don't they? <laughs> Actually, I tell a lie. The one place I ever... I was lucky enough to go to the Isles of Scilly. Oh, yeah. Um, because they had the World Gig Racing Championships yes. out there and they decided they needed more than one policeman in case there was trouble. <laughs> they sent me, which was not a lot of good. But people were incredibly polite and welcoming, but sort of, what are you doing here? We don't need a policeman. And the policeman I spoke to who lived out there absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. don't know if you've been, but... I'm ashamed to say that I haven't, but I worked when I was a lot younger on St Michael's Mount oh, right. um, in the National Trust property for a couple of summers. And it is a different world. That kind of island mentality, even on St Michael's Mount, which I'm sure is replicated on the sillies there is something magical about it and you just take a different energy when you're there yeah yeah i felt very very privileged to be there i want to go back to the isles of silly i haven't yeah. been for years and years but I, I absolutely loved it as you say there's something a different energy a different light a different it's pace. a community and it's not that they're not innovative you know i think some people think island life is backwards but actually somewhere like silly has to be innovative in how it attracts people, retains people, how people earn a living there. And I think, but it's community. Yeah. And that's what really drives it. And it's in the very, very true sense of that word. And that you feel it when you're there. And community has changed so much, hasn't it? Especially in recent times of the yeah. pandemic, community is almost entirely online for a lot of people. Do you think that's going to change culture, the way we do things? Or do you think we're going to straight back to in-person meetings and events? And I think it will change things and I think it should. I think the challenge is to really audit what we want to keep as a result of this process. So lots of us, including cultural organisations, were forced to do things digitally. Mm. And for some, that's been incredibly difficult. And for certain audiences, that is not a positive thing. You know, they don't have access to digital or, you know, they don't have access to the data they need to do that. And so it doesn't solve things for everyone. But in lots of other places, it has shifted and accelerated business plans that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Definitely. And so I think it's about how do we keep and make sustainable a hybrid model that means we can reach different audiences in the ways that are appropriate to them, whether that's physical or digital, and in a way that models a sector that learns from what has happened and not just because we have to, but because by doing that, we've discovered a whole range of new things that we want to keep. Uh, I completely agree. I think we've got to keep the good bits, the efficient bits, the bits that have allowed us to reach out further. Um, you know, we're Devon Chamber of Commerce and we have always struggled with reaching to the most rural areas. But now on Zoom, we can yeah. connect with North Devon, East Devon as well. And I think going forward, our events will be hybrid. Yeah. But there's nothing like actually seeing a real human being. I mean, it's nice to 
see you here yeah. in the studio, despite the fact there's a big sheet of plastic <laughs> between us that our listeners can't see. But because we're incredibly COVID secure here, and I must thank Paul Philbot and his team at Fresh Air who've sanitised everything to within an inch of its life. Yeah, it's and, incredible. Or did you just say, please put a large piece of plastic between me and Stuart Elford? <laughs> yeah, it's probably what it was. No, but there are certain things we want to keep. Yeah, <laughs> so quite like big know. sheets of plastic between me and you. Yeah, thanks yeah. for that. So who are your influences? Who do you admire in business? We can do that on different scales. So in terms of how they operate, Barcelona and their local authority and kind of industry model is very interesting. It's very democratic. About 80% of their decision making is through participatory public decision making, which is a very brave thing to do. It takes time to build that relationship, but it's incredible. So I think that sort of leadership, that kind of how do you become a facilitator rather than an owner manager? I'm very interested in that model. And then I think in the cultural sector, we see some organisations kind of moving down that model. Mm. I think Rising Arts is very interesting in Bristol. And I mean, there's hundreds, but I think those organisations for me that look at how do you give over power and as a result, become more impactful, more powerful to some extent. That's what really interests me. Is there a person who's done that? Do you have any heroes? Anyone you look up to, you think, oh, wow. I would say a collective. So I was really fortunate several years ago to have gone on the Claw Leadership Programme, which is you know specifically for the arts and cultural sector, but brings people from all different art forms and disciplines and areas mm. within the sector. And that for me was a group of 26 incredible people that transformed the way I thought about myself, but also the way I thought about leadership. And there are people in that group that are now, you know, Shanine is running Coventry's City of Culture Artistic Programme, Mikey runs Freedom Festival in Hull, and I could go on and on and on. But those people who are, you know, leading in a very different way and delivering projects in communities, but with, you know, exciting economic growth. I think I really feel privileged that they are part of my peer network. And Mm. I often keep an eye on what they're doing and look to them as examples of what we might be able to do here in Plymouth. Uh, It's always good to have a good peer network, isn't it? And people will tell you when you're wrong or you can ring when things are going. You can ring. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, we're going to have to wrap up in a moment, but I'd just like to think about your legacy. I know you want to be here as long as Plymouth will have you and will have you as long as you're here. But if you could look back and say, do you know what? I achieved and that was the one thing I did the one thing that I thought yeah I made a difference what would it be do you think I absolutely want us to be able as a city to work in a different way so I want to feel that old school ways of doing business and no offense to you Stuart but you're calling me old school (laughs) no just like the white (laughs) male approach to has to be done on the golf course. Oh, God. Yeah. Isn't, you know, isn't about how hard you work or how brilliant you are, but is about how well you play the politics. I would like somehow to have had a role in changing that dynamic. I think you already have. Uh, Good. I think you're greatly admired from the people I speak to. And, you know, we're very aware of that. Across, funny enough, the British Chambers of Commerce Southwest, we went to have a photo taken because we launched BCC Southwest and we realised we were all white men in our 50s. And it yeah. was purely coincidental. We hadn't appointed ourselves. So I get that. And we're doing everything we can to change the demographic of the chamber yeah. and the leadership within it. And 
perhaps maybe one day you'll stand for the board of directors of the chamber and you can help us change that from the inside. And we've got several women, we've got people of different ages, yeah. but maybe you'll be on the board one day. Well, that would be a really nice thought. Yeah, definitely. Hannah, it's been an absolute treat to meet you again. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us. Thanks for doing all you are for the city and for culture. But as you said, it's not just about culture, it's about the economic benefits and the civic pride. And you're doing a great job. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Chambermaid, introducing business owners from across the southwest. Hello there, welcome back to part two of our Chamber In Conversation With podcast. This is Chambermaid, where we speak to Chamber members about their business and all the things that have happened with them, all those exciting things. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Sue Packer, who's the Managing Director of CMO Stores. Sue. Hi, Sue. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. And this is a bit of an unusual interview for me in that I usually have met the people I interview, but we've never met, have we? (laughs) No, but charmed today. Yeah, quite. A pleasure to meet you and thanks so much for joining us. So I had a bit of background reading and I see that you studied at Kenilworth Grammar School, getting A-levels in physics, maths and chemistry, far too technical for me, and then went on to do a bachelor's degree in the University of South Wales in accounting and finance, getting a first. What brought you to Plymouth? Oh, gosh. So the A-levels were rather a long time ago and quite a lot has happened in between. Yeah, well, tell us. Basically, I have had a career, obviously in accounting, after my degree, but I am a product-based person. So I've had a heavy construction and manufacturing content in my career. So originally, I went on the milk grounds. I went on the university milk grounds and I joined Gillette on their graduate trainee program. But actually, it lasted a couple of months before they gave me a proper job, which was the marketing analyst for their shaving division. Obviously, the biggest of the Gillette divisions. And everything kind of rolled from there. After another couple of young person job hops, ambitious and hot to be important, I became a finance director of a subsidiary of what was then Bowater and later became the Wrexham Group. And since then, I've just had a career of being a finance director in SMEs, either subsidiaries of PLCs or standalone SMEs, usually ones that sort of need a bit of help to get them off the ground or maybe in a bit of a turnaround situation. And I finally arrived in Plymouth, actually because I know the shareholders. I know the venture capital company that's invested in CMO stores. I really, really like those guys and I love the business. So I absolutely love the business down here in Plymouth. I've never lived in Devon before, but I also love living in Devon. Absolutely love the people. How could you ask for more? Surrounded in beaches, Dartmoor. Of course. Areas of outstanding natural beauty. So very, very happy here. Yeah, well. Well, it's great to have you here and it's God's own county of course I'm sure I was actually fascinated and forgive me for saying this but you're a woman in a male dominated sector that must be very very tough for me not if I'm honest and I think it's going back to where I started so I started in a manufacturing business and never left manufacturing businesses really manufacturing something so construction's technically not a manufacturing business but it makes something mm. and those businesses do tend to have more men in them than women mm. for me it's never been a particular problem I've never really seen a glass ceiling and actually currently I have nothing but men reporting to me <laughs> which oh. works really well and I 
hope to get that balance changed a little bit over time. In other places in the organisation, we've got some surprises. So our customer service team who deal with trades guys all day long is almost exactly 50-50 split. And the ladies in that team do the most fantastic job of selling our products to the core of our customer base. They also deal with homeowners day in, day out, who tend to have a bigger proportion of ladies, but nonetheless. So um, I think things are changing. I think they're changing for the good. I love being in this business. Mm. Well, I think gender equality and balance, especially on boards, is really, really important. But helping people of every background through, I mean, it's absolutely proven that diverse boards make companies perform better. It results definitely in more profit. Everybody brings something different, don't they? Everybody from a different background brings something different. And what you have to be is just open to listen to what it is that everybody has to offer. It's interesting that I've just noticed that my recording schedule today, I'm interviewing five people and they're all women. And are you doing anything to address that, to bring more women through? Yes, we have a contact centre, which is absolutely fundamental to the business. So our contact Mm. centre supports all of our customers, whether they're trades guys or whether they're homeowners. And that contact centre is actually about 50-50 men and ladies. And actually, dare I say, we have one lady who is almost always our highest performing salesperson. Mm. So good on her. I would love to attract more people. I don't think I particularly personally believe in positive discrimination. I believe in recruiting the best for the job. And I believe there are a whole lot of really good ladies out there and we will find them. They will become more prevalent and we will find them. Yeah, because it's proven that diversity within any business makes it more profitable. So It makes it more profitable. Um, Everybody's got something really interesting to bring to the party. Everybody has a different outlook aspect, which keeps everything balanced. And I think that's brilliant. And it makes life more fun as well as more profitable. Well, speaking of profit, I read that this business of yours, CMO Stores, started 2009 as a roofing superstore and already £52 million in sales, 38% growth in market share. I mean, are you going to buy a grey suit and a white cat and take over the world? We, uh, you're thinking about it, actually. Yes, once we've got more women on the board, we'll do exactly that. <laughs> no, <laughs> we are doing rather well. Yes, we have grown exponentially. It's overemphasising, but we have grown very well. We've had absolutely consistent year-on-year growth. Mm. I don't think the business has had one year when it's gone backwards. We're expecting that to accelerate now. We've got an awful lot of initiatives going on where we're expecting acceleration, cutting the customer the heart of absolutely everything we do is key to us and it's sometimes lost in an e-commerce business because you don't see the customer Mm. face to face but actually we do so we see about 20% of our orders are placed through our customer service team and those are the more complicated orders they help us to get to know the client base etc so keeping the people focus is really critical and yes we did do very well last year so profit wise we grew far more than we did top line last year so there's all sorts of efficiency programs going on in the business again all hinging around understanding our customers and our suppliers better Mm. and it's certainly working really well for us yeah we've noticed that businesses that embraced digital working early have actually done really well through the pandemic and those that didn't sadly haven't and the chamber's looking at putting on a series of events to help businesses become truly digital not just getting a website but the whole thing about trading online payments online contracts logistics the whole thing so i mean we may well call on your expertise to help our members if that's okay you are very welcome (laughs) we will help in any way we can but you're absolutely right having a website is not the same as e-commerce it's not the same as trading online and there's a massive amount going on in the background that facilitates even just the delivery you know the Mm. sort of back-to-back ordering from suppliers and the delivery all sorts of stuff going on in the background it's a myth that you can overnight create 
a good e-commerce business. And we've been improving our platform, our e-commerce platform, which we have written in-house. We have a team of developers mm-hmm. here for, well, exactly since 2009. <laughs> our wow. first order was in October 2009, I think. And the great thing about having an in-house platform is that you can constantly evolve from customer feedback, yeah. which has worked really well for us. So, yeah, but we are happy to help. Well, thank you. And I will take you up on that, I'm sure. If you'd like to feature on a future episode of In Conversation With, send an email to info at freshairstudios.com. From the small, humble beginnings of a roofing superstore, you've now got a whole bunch of brands, haven't you? A whole bunch of different lines. Yep. So we started, as you say, with Roofing Superstore. In 2015, we launched Drainage Superstore, Installations shortly afterwards, and then our Doors Superstore, which was actually an acquisition of a small company, which we took on board, embraced and have flown with. We've still got some of the employees from that business with us, and it's doing really, really well. And then we set up from scratch a tile and flooring superstore and actually we acquired a tile business the very tail end of December so 31st of December formally we acquired a business called Total Tiles based in Ipswich which is a already fully fledged much larger business than our tile and floor superstore so we'll work out how they're going to work in relation to each other in the coming months and we launched a trade website as well with all our products on on one website which is exclusively for tradespeople and has a whole lot of tools on it to make tradespeople's lives easier. We know those guys are very busy and they need all the help they can get in managing their clients. Am I right in thinking that part of the success was about being a market disruptor, that you kind of cut out the middleman, that you get the product to the site without going through a merchant? Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we are the merchant, if you like. So people buy directly from us. We do stock some products. So in order that we can satisfy next day delivery when it's required, etc., we do stock some products. But actually, most things are placed back to back with the manufacturer or distributor Mm. and that allows us to sell 75,000 products so we've actually got 75,000 products listed online which gives people an enormous amount of choice and much much more choice than you could ever get from a bricks and mortar store a merchant will probably stock something like four and a half thousand different product lines wow did the business set out to be a disruptor or was it just a new model and this is the way it's going to be no do you set out to be a disruptor or do you just set out to do something good. It's slightly hard to talk for the founders of the business. But yes, certainly it was disruptive because it was the first. Mm. So certainly we're the first and still actually one of the very few pure online businesses in the builders merchants Mm. space. And actually online is very low penetration into the builders merchant space. Okay. So that's why I'm sort of pretty confident about our growth. There is still so much further to go and Mm. the vast majority of businesses certainly retail businesses there's much greater online penetration there is in the builders merchant space but the demographics are changing the average tradesman in the UK is actually 56 which means that there's a whole generation of builders and tradesmen coming up behind them who will be naturally digitally native they will want to do everything online so we are very much here to support them in doing that I remember someone telling me you know the difference between our generations is that you and I at our very young age of course but we would talk about going online whereas the generation behind us are online they don't go they are constantly (laughs) they are in a digital world you know it's a big big difference and i'm glad you mentioned about skills and people coming on i understand you employ about 180 but you're growing are you finding it difficult to get the right people because the skills market especially for technical jobs has traditionally been quite tough it is a 
challenge. It's very definitely a challenge. And I think because in Plymouth, we are a little bit more cut off than in other places. But there are all sorts of great things happening that prevent that from being a challenge for very much longer. So COVID taught us all that we could work from home with no problems whatsoever. So I remember very clearly last year, 16th of March, (laughs) we actually vacated the offices. And I think we lost maybe a couple of hours, two or three hours of productivity and that was it. So wow. we were up and running really, really well from everyone's houses, which has taught us, you know, that we can implement this sort of dream, if you like, flexible model. Mm. And that's going to open up a world of opportunity. So that actually does open up opportunity for working mums, doesn't it? That it makes life mm. much easier for working mums. They can work from home. It allows us to go further afield in looking out for talent. But actually, We are very good in this business at bringing talent along. We have Mm. a lot of people who stay in the business and are now far more important than when they started. Me included. I started off as the finance director. Mm. So, Uh, hey, we can all go places. We can all go places indeed. (laughs) Now, I wanted to ask you about the construction industry has traditionally not been associated with perhaps the best environmental record, but you're actually trying to change that, aren't you? I understand you're going to be planting trees. Well, not you personally, although you might do. No, I am personally going to plant trees. I do it a lot at home, so I'm just bringing that to the office. So, yes, we've partnered with a charity called Trees for Cities, and they either create forests in underprivileged city environments, and they all work very closely with schools in similar environments to actually teach kids to be closer to their food source, have them eating healthily by growing. So their playgrounds are not full of playgrounds. They're full of raised beds, full of lettuces, aubergines, carrots, whatever anybody fancies planting. But they work with school children to do that, which I think is great. But they also have planted multi-million trees. Mm. And we are going to plant a forest of about 2,000 trees. We don't yet know where, but somewhere on the outskirts of Plymouth, which for the tree species that grow around here should be about a two acre woods so we're very excited about doing that to do it we have to raise thirty thousand pounds which we're doing by various means so we are having a series of internal events to raise that money we're asking our customers through a donator sapling button on their final order basket to donate a pound which is approximately the cost of the sapling itself mm-hmm. which is marvelous that's got really good take-up actually we're starting to see really good take-up there and we're asking our suppliers to help out out too and our suppliers are very interested so it is quite difficult for some businesses to offset their own emissions Mm. technically for the legal entity that we are we don't have many because Mm. we don't have our own delivery fleet but we want to do our bit and I think we found ourselves now in a really good place so we're of a certain profit that makes life much easier and we just want to give a bit back so we're also going to be doing beach cleans which is obviously great Mm. for this environment Yeah, we're hoping to plant our two-acre forest at the tail end of this year, the planting season at the tail end of this year. Well, that's fantastic, and good luck with that. And if we're allowed, I'd love to come along and shovel a tree in myself. We will make sure you are invited, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. The big attraction is that we will all be participating. Well, another big attraction, I should say, is that we'll all be participating. So, yes, we'll make sure you have your invitation. Great. And I sort of want to wrap up, really, by asking, what's next for CMO? What can the Chamber do to support you? Because you're a hidden gem of Plymouth. You know, there's a fantastic 
fantastic success story and I want to make sure that the Devon and Plymouth Chamber is behind you. What can we do for you and what's next? So I don't think we have spent enough time actually promoting ourselves in the local area and it is really interesting the employment point. So we are growing up until now we haven't hugely struggled in getting new staff although in certain technical areas Mm. we have but we really really want to promote ourselves actually as the great employer. This is a girl thing to say now. We are a very happy company. It's a very happy company. We've managed to get to 52 million quid and retain something of a family feel along with a high degree of professionalism. And it makes it a great place to work. So we have people who leave for maybe salary reasons, maybe personal reasons, come back. We see quite a few people come back. So we would love to get that message out there in as many places as possible, that we are constantly recruiting, constantly looking for great people and that we are a great place to work. So I think that would be the biggest and best way that you could help. Well, I can definitely do that and we'll pick that up afterwards. But I have to say, I've been to your premises a couple of times and it has a lovely family feel, a lovely welcoming feel. And so thank you and well done thank you for joining me and i look forward to seeing you in person soon and planting a tree with you thank you very much sue packer i hope so thank you in conversation with is produced by fresh air studios full audio production services for podcasts live links and corporate communications visit freshairstudios.com presented by Stuart elford produced and engineered by paul philpot edited and mixed by martin burgess moon Production support by Lisa Hartwell. Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved.